With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. Liverpool atop. Manchester United a rock bottom. 4-0 the final score at Anfield last night as Jurgen Klopp's side punished United. A rivalry this season which bears an aggregate score of 9-0 to Liverpool. But is anyone surprised? Liverpool are a top team and Manchester United aren't. The post-mortem from last night's punishing evening, which changes things at the top of the Premier League, is coming up on today's show. Can you imagine what Sir Alex Ferguson might have said at half-time during his day, having witnessed that performance? Well, next season, you might be able to hear exactly that. Not Fergie, of course, he's long since retired, but suggestions are that we may get half-time manager interviews on the TV for Premier League games next season. We'll discuss that on today's podcast. And also, we'll look at the other four top-flight matches happening tonight, with Chelsea and Arsenal squaring off in a game with top-four implications, Manchester City looking to wrestle back their place at the Premier League summit, and Everton attempting to increase their points cushion to the relegation zone. This is Football Social Daily, your award-winning Premier League news and opinion podcast from Sports Social. My name's Niall, and with me today, two people who are stressed out for differing reasons. Joel Tudor, purely because he's a Manchester United fan, and Ian Brannan, who'd been scrambling for a decent plumber this morning as he hasn't got any hot water at home. I can't decide which of you have got it worse right now. Morning, gents. <laughs> well, but they all involve spanners, so <laughs> there we go. I mean, you actually sound quite sprightly this morning, Joel, considering last night's... Uh, uh, disappointment, to put it that way. No, you know when you can see a car crash happening from a mile away and you've kind of resounded to what's about to happen, is that yesterday on the podcast I literally said to Marley and Fergal, I'm so happy I'm not on the podcast tomorrow, as in today, because I already know what's going to happen. And then I get a call this morning from Niall saying, Joel, would you like to see your post-mortem for the game? And here I am talking at 10am about Manchester United's dim- demolition job. Well, come on then, let's get it out of the way. Bit of therapy, get it off your chest. Liverpool 4, Manchester United nil at Anfield last night. But is anyone here, or indeed anyone who watched the game last night, 
truly surprised at that scoreline. As is always the case when Manchester United are beaten, and beaten handsomely at that, especially to a rival, there will be an inquest. And that inquest will have already begun as to why the performance was as it was. What are your thoughts, Joel? Let's get your take first. Can we get the Undertaker theme song just like (laughs) dinging in the background for like a death that we just witnessed? Because honestly, I think every single Man United fan that I know, everyone on socials was so resounded to what was about to happen yesterday that literally zero hopes were raised at all and then as soon as you seen the team sheet three at the back you just knew exactly what the game plan was exactly what the mentality was going to be and for me the writing was just on the wall from the get-go straight away you saw Maguire stepping out of position like he was a holding midfielder letting Mane in straight away and you could just see on the body language just total lethargy no belief no energy at all complete static players every in every area of the pitch it was shocking it was really just testament to how far down this club are compared to Liverpool when you saw straight away from the kickoff they looked like a deer in headlights as in they, they looked fearful of what Liverpool were going to actually do to them in the first few minutes because they set off like electric as they do in most games high press high attacking intensity and United were just, you know, shuffling to the left, shuffling to the right. Nobody really knew the system. Nobody really knew the structure. And it was just, there was, honestly, I could pick apart every single part of it. But I think one of the big things for me is the fact that if you want to go ahead to Rangnick's comments after the game, I think they were absolutely damning and embarrassing for the players. Not embarrassing his comments, as in his, his comments for the players. If they heard that, Every area, he said, they might need seven to ten new players. We might need to rebuild. It's embarrassing the injuries that we have. We went against the game plan early on. I mean, every single part of that just tells you that he has zero belief in the players that he's managing now. And he doesn't believe that any of them deserve to even be there anymore. Apart from one or two, I would say probably Hannibal was the one who gave me a bit more of a a spark in the fire because he was the only guy who actually just tried to disrupt Liverpool's rhythm of play. You know, if you're under the cosh against a quality side and like we saw yesterday, United got absolutely nowhere near them. You need to try and disrupt the play a little bit or show a bit of fire in your belly and every single one of them just looks so resounded to what was happening in front of them. And another point is the fact that when you look to the team sheet, you had Paul Pogba, Lingard, uh, Matic, all of these players we know are 90 to 100% going to be leaving in the summer. So I think it's fair to say that I don't think any of them will be as committed as you would be if you're on a long-term contract in case of the risk of getting badly injured or jeopardising any future move in the summer. And I just don't think you're going to be going into challenges as you would if you were a player who knows where he's going to be in the summer. So the fact that we're having to rely as well on these players who we know want to leave is an absolute joke in my opinion. And the sooner that the season's over, the better. Because like Ragnick said, it probably will take seven to ten plays. Because for me, it's just like one of those toxic waste barrels that you need to empty into the sea and just start again. Because this is just... 
this is the lowest of the low. When you play your rivals, you at least expect a little bit of fight, regardless of who is wearing the table. Like, for example, you know, when we play Leeds or when we play City or when we play anyone who's, who's a rival considered to us, no matter where you are in the table, you still show that it's a rivalry game. And for me, it looked like a training session of attack versus defence and that's just, I think that was just the bottom of the barrel for me yesterday. And it, the next game, we're going to see the reaction is going to be exactly the same. They feel like they've got nothing to fight for now. And that's just where the club is at, at the moment. You haven't got players who want to fight for the badge. Yeah, Arsenal up next for Manchester United. Those are the thoughts of Joel Tudor there. And please don't go and dump any toxic chemicals into the sea they are strictly the opinions of Joel and not those of sports (laughs) social Um, but no all joking aside Joel highlighted it there Ian for you as a somewhat neutral as a Leeds fan I know you do have a a, a slight disdain for Manchester United understandably so (laughs) is this an indication of how good Liverpool are or how poor Manchester United are because (laughs) Mo Salah post-match said United make our lives easier I mean, that must be a horrible thing to hear if you're a United fan. This is Manchester United we're talking about. You know, if, if Leeds had got battered 4-0, we'd go, oh, well, you know, fair enough, they haven't quite got it, you know, and all that. But do you know what? Even sides at the bottom of the Premier League wouldn't give up in the same manner that Manchester United did last night. And that's the biggest concern. As Joel was saying, they just haven't got it. They're not in for the fight. You've got too many big-time Charlies in that side who think that they've got it made and that they are better than they are because of their price tag, because of what they've been. But you're only as good as your last game. And the last game was absolutely terrible. You know, those players uh, think that they can just walk into that side based on reputation and all that. And they're not going to have a reputation if they carry on like that. And this is the thing. And the other, I, I, We've seen it over the time since Fergie left. You see, players didn't mess about with Fergie, did they? Fergie would rip them to shreds. We know what Fergie used to do in, in the dressing rooms. You know, there'd be boots flying, pizzas flying, all sorts of stuff flying. Will Ten Hag do that next season? Well, He's going to be that... the next United manager. And as Joel says, it could be six, seven, ten, yeah. according to Rangnick, new faces. He's going to have to get his boots stuck into them because if He's, not, this yeah. could continue. He's going to have to kick them out. He's going to have to kick them out and let them find another club and let them find whatever it is they're looking for elsewhere because it's just a rotten bunch. They need to start from the beginning. They need to work out which players are in that dressing room who actually want to be there, who have got some talent, who can take the club forward and do a job. And all the ones that are just clinging on for the money and the reputation, kick them out, right? Pay them off. It'd be worth it because it's going to be cheaper to do that than it is to not qualify for the Champions League and all these kind of tournaments that Manchester United should do well in and should go on long runs in. Because they're not going to achieve it. They haven't got the bottle. They haven't got the fight. And it's player power has taken over at Manchester United. I've said this right at the very start of this season. Go back to the podcasts in pre-season. Um, we were talking about this very situation. I, I certainly was talking about it, and others were as well. The fact that they've got too many big names, so-called big names, in that dressing room, it's an impossible thing to manage. Because you've got too many egos who think they know better than the manager who think, well, do you know what? If we don't win anything, they'll just get the manager out. We'll get another one. I'll be all right. I'm getting 100 grand a week. We've got too many of those players at Manchester United. We said it at the start, and it's it's just panned out exactly the way that we were talking about. It's an impossible situation. It doesn't matter whether it's Man United or any other club or any other business. If you've got too many egos where, you know, they've got so much money and they've been there, seen it and done it, 
that you haven't got any kind of carrot on a stick, no rocket to put up their backsides, because it doesn't matter to them. They get dropped, so what? They're not bothered. They don't want to play football anyway, some of them. They want to play golf or do whatever it is they want to do. You know, be international playboys, influencers on Instagram, all this kind of stuff. That's there's no there's nothing for them to achieve some of them have won world cups they've been in the biggest tournaments they know that they're going to go off to real madrid or barcelona or juventus or ac or whatever and they'll be all right they'll have exactly the same conditions they've got now if not better and better weather right so there's there's no there's no doom and gloom for them there's no fear of loss which is the main driver of the human you know if you're going to lose your job you think right i need to get on with this i need to do better they don't, they don't care because there's nothing for them to lose so that's the problem and it's it's just expecting oh the manager will change the manager will change we, we, we'll get him out we don't like him he's working us too hard blah blah but they they just all need kicking out and starting again and i think ten Hag, you know he's a he's a good manager we know he's a good manager and if somebody like ten Hag comes in and fails like the other managers that have come in with all this experience and fail then does that tell you that it's the managers repeatedly, world-class managers not being able to get a tune out of the same guys, or is it the blokes in question? And I would say it's the blokes in question that need to look at themselves. Why can't you sack players? That's the other thing. They need booting out. If anybody else wasn't performing like that in their job, you get sacked. But players just sit there and go, what you can do about it? <laughs> you know? And it's a ridiculous situation. One of the players who we might not see for Manchester United again is Paul Pogba. He came off after about five minutes. In fact, it was shortly after Liverpool scored, I think, with injury, Joel. It was the worst possible start for Manchester United. A lot of people suggesting that that might be his last game in a Manchester United shirt, losing 4-0 to Liverpool at Anfield, lasting eight or nine minutes and coming off injured. First of all, do you think he will play for Manchester United again? Second of all, do you think he should? No to both of them. Um, I think his time has been well long overdue now in terms of leaving. Um, it's the you know what it's not even just him because I know from what people have said he's he's a nice guy. He's, he's a family guy. He's not like one of these toxic guys that all the press portray him to be. It's the things in the background that have really weighed him down, which is his his agent. Every single international break, the noise that comes from that area. I even remember when Raiola and started going toe-for-toe with uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer when he said that, you know, Paul Pogba's our player and then he started to go down this rabbit hole of, well, what does that mean then? For me, I just think back to when Jose Mourinho was the manager and he literally prophesied absolutely all of what is happening right now. Just in terms of when he said, when you see some of these players leave, just look at which clubs they go to and if they even play. And you will see that now. When you see half of these players who are going to go, just look at which clubs they go to. Apart from Paul Pogba, which he'll probably still play at a very high level, go and see which clubs majority of these end up going to, and you'll see the level that they're at. They won't be playing at the highest level again like this. Or at, for a club that big, they'll be going straight down, down one or two tiers, and that's just testament to what this hoarding culture that's been going on at United, where... The reward failure, the reward average, the reward players who, even though they don't seem to fight for the badge, they want to keep the value, but they have no value left because they give them extortionate contracts. It's everything from the top to the bottom is ridiculous. But in terms of Paul Pogba, in terms of Jesse Lingard, Ennison Cavani, again, Jose Marino said the same thing about all of them, which is that some players, they, go, they don't want to fight through the pain barrier. That's not to say you should play when you're deadly injured, but... 
when you look at so many other teams and Mourinho was so used to, you know, his Inter Milan side had men. If they were a little bit injured, they would fight for the team, regardless of if they had a little niggle. Whereas I remember he called out Luke Shaw a number of times to say, well, he doesn't fight through the pain barrier. Same with Edison Cavani. He seems to pick and choose when he wants to play. And like Ian said, I'm sure under Ferguson, they were probably scared to reveal they had an injury because they wanted to play so much. And now it's literally like they are bigger than the manager. And I think the good thing is now, and judging from all the speculation, Ten Hag has literally said to the board, if you don't change the way in which you do your strategy in terms of recruitment and in terms of picking players and selling players and I don't have a say in it, then I'm not joining. Because it seems as though whoever's making those decisions are making the wrong decisions. Every, and it's happened for 10 years now. And like Einstein said, if you do the same thing repeatedly and, don't get, and you get the same results, it's insanity. So he's literally been the circuit breaker in this whole ridiculous circumstance so for me now he's going to come in he'll have a veto of every single thing that goes on he'll probably have a big long conversation with Ralph Randnick they'll probably sit in a room and he'll ask him tell me about the players tell me who should stay who should go how the personalities are who fights for the badge and I think that's absolutely needed an inside of you we don't want a manager who's going to come in and say I'm going to give everyone a fair chance no it's gone on for too long now tell him who needs to go who needs to stay and let him make his club, not just his team, but his club, as the way Alex Ferguson did it. Mm. There's there's troublemakers in the gang, and that's, 100%. that's clearly what's going on. And, you know, Ten Hag was always, um, sorry, Rangnick was always going to have this um, overall role further on. But I think actually maybe it's a bit of a smart move sticking him in, you know, on the shop floor for however many months so he can actually see what it really is going on. You know, rather than having somebody in and you get one story publicly to the to the boss, and then actually day to day it's different. But for him to actually see these players and deal with them day in day out, you get a full um, look at exactly how they are. And and back to Fergie, I mean, Fergie ruled that place with an iron fist. Make no mistake. And I, I I've not seen that from any of the other managers, because you know, as I say, the players took control after Fergie left, and that's where everything stemmed from. I remember being in a press conference. A long time ago, about 20 years ago now, Fergie at Sunderland. Sunderland played Man United and it was sort of Christmas Christmas time and and some uh, some reporter sort of made some kind of jokey, uh, some kind of jokey question about a transfer that he was rumoured to be having. And Fergie absolutely blew his top uh, with this reporter. It was a reporter from like a tabloid and he, he absolutely cleaned him good and proper. And... It was like, wow, <laughs> that's that's a guy from the press that's just had a new one ripped. What, what's he like with players? If they're, you know, you would not mess with Fergie. You, re- I mean, if he loved you, you know, he would go through a wall for you, absolutely. But mm. you would not try it on with Fergie, absolutely not. Well, it's fair to say that a lot of the Liverpool players would run through a wall for their manager, Jurgen Klopp. And with that result over Manchester United at Anfield last night, Liverpool go top of the table with the win. They've got a better goal difference than Manchester City. Just quickly on Liverpool, because we can talk about Manchester United and try and dissect their performance, but we need to give credit to Liverpool, who are outstanding as well, as they have been all season. And they are still in four competitions, or they've won one of them, so they can still get that quadruple, which has never been done before. They obviously go top. Manchester City play tonight. We'll talk about that game in a second. Psychologically, Ian, are these sorts of things the minute advantages that teams can look for in a title race? Because the pressure's back on City now, isn't it? And that's testament to Liverpool's performance yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's becoming like a 
sort of a, a, a league version of a penalty shootout, isn't it, between the two of them now, you know, each stepping up to, to their respective games and uh, especially when it's like this, when they play on, on, on alternate days, yeah, you know, Liverpool have got that advantage now over at you, City, what can you do in your next game? And it's going to be whoever breaks first, isn't it? It's, it's going to go all the way down to the wire, potentially, but... Um, big wins like this are certainly going to, you know, because Manchester United are still a top six team. Don't forget, <laughs> they're not. Uh, they no, they should be no slouches. They're still a difficult team to overcome. You know, Liverpool are going to have some easier fixtures before the end of the season. Man City are going to have easier ones and, and harder ones as well. Um, so yeah, but at the moment you've got to be happy. Pressure's off Liverpool for the for the time being, for the next few days at least, and uh, over to to City to see what they can do. Well, tonight of course against Brighton, it's uh, it's all on them. You never know, dear, with Brighton. Tricky, tricky characters. Never do. Brighton have beaten Spurs and Arsenal in their last two games. Can they unsettle the title race? We'll talk about that next after this here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. My name's Niall. I've got Joel and Ian alongside me. We've just dissected Liverpool's hammering of Manchester United 4-0 last night. That was the precursor to four top-flight games this evening. Chelsea against Arsenal, Man City against Brighton, Everton Leicester and Newcastle Palace. We'll focus first, though, on the game which has major top four implications between Chelsea and Arsenal at Stamford Bridge. Thomas Tuchel, Joel, says he isn't comfortable with people suggesting that his Chelsea side are effectively guaranteed a top four place. They're third at the moment. It looks as if they are going to stay third and finish third. They've still got West Ham United and Manchester United to play, two top four rivals, after this game with Arsenal tonight. So you can understand why he's being slightly wary about it. I mean, he's clearly not been watching the the games of the teams who are trying to get the top four because they can't seem to get a point (laughs) at the moment. So I think he's just trying to keep the complacency to an all-time low with his Chelsea squad. But yeah, of course, I'm sure they're 100% clean and dry just considering how how much lacking of consistency Arsenal, Manchester United and Tottenham are. But this is a this is a massive game for Arsenal just because they've still yet to beat a top six a top five side. You know the typical top five sides in terms of Liverpool, Manchester City, um, United, and Tottenham and Chelsea. They just seem to be the 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 dead rubber beaters in terms of being able to just turn over the smaller sides. But then when it comes to the big games, they just don't have the the quality and the game plan to actually go one step further. And obviously Chelsea away 
is a pretty difficult place to go to, apart from in the last few weeks where obviously Brentford and Real Madrid have managed to get some really good results there. But for Chelsea, it's just... It's a case of basically, well, they've had the FA Cup final, which is pretty much their season in a game when you consider how how well they've done this season. I'm sure Thomas Tuchel will look at this season and think it's been a pretty much of a failure, to be honest. But then he would also look at the circumstances that have been going off on the pit, um, going off the pitch in terms of their ownership, and they probably say, you know what, we managed a difficult situation really well. But this is just a season where I truly thought that they should have been challenging for the title, and I think that Thomas Tuchel will be really disappointed with how it's gone, just because after signing a one hundred million pound striker and having a team which is very very solid, they're the European champions still. I think they should have gone one step further this season, but potentially, you know, if everything changed and Lukaku was a guy who actually hit the ground running, who knows, maybe they would have changed some of those eight draws into a few wins, which would have been right up the backsides of Manchester City and Liverpool. But I do think that um, for Arsenal, this this is a game which will break not only the top four race into a big open space, but just the psychological one. Because it's, it's it's become the same thing as it was under Arsene Wenger until they did that 2-0 City away win. They just can't seem to get over the fence against the bigger side. So it'll be a massive test and I just don't think they'll do it again still. Yeah, two must-wins for Arsenal. This is a huge week for them. If they beat Chelsea here and they beat Manchester United on Saturday in the lunchtime kickoff, they could be again in pole position in the top four race, just as they were a few weeks ago. But they threw it away, Ian, by losing the last three, including their last game to Brighton. Why is that? Why has Arteta not been able to keep a grip on their advantage in the top four race? For me, I think it's inexperience. They've got rid of a lot of experienced players. They've shown faith in youth, which has stood them in good stead so far. When it comes to the pressure situations, maybe that inexperience begins to tell because that inexperience also goes above board to the manager because he's not exactly been in situ for a long time. It's his first job, Mikel Arteta. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you look at the sides that Arsenal have lost against and they're not the big hitters. You know, they've been beaten. I mean, they've been beaten by Liverpool. Um, won against Leicester and Aston Villa and then the last, what, these last six games. But then they've lost against Crystal Palace, Brighton and Southampton. You know, and these are... These are fixtures that you'd see probably a, a fairly winnable. I'm just wondering if it's down to an attitude thing, you know, of they, they get up for the big, the bigger occasion uh, a little bit more. And we see it lots of times with clubs, I think, that, you know, they, they just fail to really nail that, you know, that sort of average game. You know, if you're in Europe, you've got the big European occasion, you've got your midweek matches um, and all that kind of glitz and then seems to for some reason or another just take their eye off the the games that they think well you know we'll probably do all right in that we're not worrying about that we're worrying about man city or we're worrying about chelsea or or what have you whereas you know the games they should win they're not winning and in looking at the form table at the moment you know arsenal are down there with everton and norwich and villa and man united um so uh you know it, it they're not they're not right at the bottom of course but you know they they're, they're not on form to have a a convincing European finish at the end of the season. They're not on form to beat Chelsea, that's for sure. And it's a bad time to have your sticky patch. There's no doubt about it. very much up there, aren't they? Yeah, they absolutely are. Third at the moment. They take on Arsenal tonight. Another game with eyes at the top of the Premier League table is one of the teams looking to get that top spot back. Manchester City, they take on Brighton. And a Brighton side who, as we just mentioned, have beaten Arsenal and beaten Spurs in their last two games. Before we focus on City, Joel... 
what credit does Graham Potter deserve if he gets them finishing in the top half? Because that's certainly on the cards. I think they're 10th at the moment, Brighton. And for all the, the criticism that's been levelled at them for kind of sacking Chris Hewton and bringing Potter in, and although the performances improved, the results stayed the same, this season something has clicked. And we said last season that if they could get things going at the top end of the pitch, they might be dangerous. They could end up finishing in the top 10 for a club like Brighton and for Graham Potter. That's remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, well, do you remember in, I think, October time when he got booed off the pitch I think after drawing or against Leeds, yeah, yeah, drawing nil yeah, nil with Leeds, I, is he? And we'll yeah, remember, I'm sure. I remember when we were talking. Oh, what a result! I remember when we were talking about that and thinking, what are they seeing that we're not? Because he had them in such a strong position, and when you look at their team on paper, it's it's got strength in absolutely every area. I remember looking at their team sheet against Arsenal in their last game. And I was speaking to one of my friends and we said that their team on paper actually looks better than the Manchester United one at the moment, just in terms of how well-structured it is and how he has such a strong characteristic of play. And he seems to have a really good chokehold on the north of London, especially in the last couple of weeks. But he's done an amazing job there. And obviously, Brighton gave him, a, I think, what, a seven-year contract not so long ago. And it just shows the belief they have in him to change that club around. Um, because you don't just hand out those contracts to anybody. It seems as though he has such a strong plan. And I think one of the biggest things is his recruitment. His recruitment in so many different areas is testament to how many players have been linked to all these big moves. Like Yves Basuma is probably, probably going to be moved on to one of the big clubs. Uh, Lamptey is probably going to be a target for the big clubs. There's just a number of players in there who are probably punching above the weight now. And that just is how well... Graham Potter is coaching their sides. Um, tenth is probably it, it is a result of that sticky patch of form, as we mentioned earlier in the season, where they couldn't seem to change the draws into victories, and it was a little bit of a, a curvy patch for them. But now they just seem to be a team where, when we've said at the start, where, for example, Manchester City are playing Brighton, you would think that Brighton would probably roll over because they literally have nothing much to play for now, apart from potentially a top half finish and a little bit of pride and uh, preparation going into the next season. But for a manager to be able to get the players up for it, even still against a team who have got everything to play for, all the pressures on them. I mean, that, that just shows how much of a manager you are in terms of being able to get your players into the right frame of mind to not only just go to one of these big teams and play, but go to win. So it's um it's just testament to it's such a good manager and I just hope that he doesn't end up getting poached by a team who tempts him with a, a carrot stick of that big uh, payday. But yeah, Brighton have really impressed me this season. We talk about teams that have got nothing to play for in inverted commas um, as teams that that maybe find it difficult to get motivated but there's also that flip side of the argument which is teams with nothing to play for can relax a little bit and enjoy their football a bit more whether that will make a difference uh, against Man City uh, who knows because the pressure's certainly on at the Etihad City have got injuries Ian they've got a Champions League semi-final to look forward to there's rumours of Erling Haaland joining the club in the last few days those have been batted away by Pep Guardiola in his press conference all of these things are circling at the moment and now they're behind Liverpool in the title race. They just need to have utmost focus this evening, don't they? No distractions and try and reclaim that top spot from Liverpool. Yeah, well, as I said before, you know, it's it's advantage Liverpool and now it's Man, Man City's shot to, uh, to see if they can, um, you know, at least match that for this evening. But <clears throat> tricky characters, Brighton beating Arsenal, beating Tottenham. Man City drew with uh, Liverpool and 
Drew with Crystal Palace. You know, they're, they're not infallible, are they? They they are certainly um, with the with the title kind of becoming into sight now. Certainly, and and, and with Liverpool putting the pressure up, that they, they need to hold their nerve here. And 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 a game against Brighton, you know, is one they should win, but will they win it? I don't know. It's going to be an exciting one. You just never know. Certainly a good one for the neutral tonight. Yeah, certainly will be. Manchester City versus Brighton. In a second, we're going to talk about Everton against Leicester. But I just wanted to mention that Newcastle versus Palace also takes place tonight. We won't be talking about that in great detail. We've got Marley, who's a Newcastle fan, on tomorrow's Football Social Daily. So we'll be looking back at that game at St. James's Park between the Magpies and the Eagles. Newcastle could even finish in the top 10 this season, which would be insane considering where they were at Christmas. And Crystal Palace, of course, wanting a response uh, from Cup semi-final disappointment. Let's look at Everton though, where Fortune seems to have been on their side recently with results elsewhere. Sean Dyche has been sacked by Burnley. Burnley are in action tomorrow. We'll talk about Dyche's sacking in more detail on tomorrow's podcast as well. So hit subscribe and you won't miss it. But the difference between Everton and the drop zone at the moment is still four points. That isn't a great deal of points, but it could extend to seven with only a handful of games to go if they beat Leicester tonight, Joel. That would be a comfortable cushion but will it be enough of a cushion for Lampard? That's presuming that they actually get any points tonight, which is never a given with Everton. I think with these teams at the bottom, it's never enough until it's mathematically done, just because you don't know how these teams are going to react when it gets to the final three games. As we've seen, for example, with Leicester, the season before they won the title, they were absolutely dead and buried with eight games to go, and then suddenly they went on this miraculous run of form where I think they won, what, six out of the last eight games or something crazy like that, which ended up keeping them in the league, and then the rest is history with that one. I'm not saying Burnley are going to win the league next year, but I'm saying that the form can change very, very quickly, but I would have been more confident for them had... Sean Dyche still being the manager and I'm not so confident with the fact that Ben Mee is now the I don't know what he is he's the caretaker kind of player manager I don't know if he still plays anymore it's a bit of a strange situation how all that's unfolded to be honest there's a lot of secrecy around it and lack of transparency of what's gone on but I think for Everton this is this is a game that will allow a massive psychological psychological barrier in terms of the points because going seven clear with just, what, five games to go, or seven games to go in Burnley's case, is a massive barrier to overcome. I mean, Burnley, to overcome that, will have to pretty much double their wins for the season, which is not gonna, well, clearly not going to be easy at all. Um, Everton still do have some tough games to come. And that game against Manchester United in the last one, I think that was that probably was the turning point. Um, I don't think you could have picked a better club to have a turning point against right now. But um, it's it seven points should you would say should get them towards safety there or thereabouts. But again, it's not a guarantee that Everton gonna, Everton are going to pick up these three points because they're just so inconsistent. And that's presuming Burnley don't pick up yeah, any points exactly. as well, which the, is you, you know not. Out of the question, considering they they need a new manager. Yeah, and they and they came back from um, a goal down. I think was it against was it against West Ham in their last game? And everyone thought, oh, now that Sean Dyche has gone, they're going to absolutely capitulate. But to go away to West Ham and still pick up a point again, it, it just shows that they're definitely not down and out. So it's going to be very interesting. But I think those two are going to go toe for toe. It's going to be a jab for jab until the vinyl days. Um, but I definitely wouldn't rule them out just yet. Everton against Leicester tonight. Leicester can still finish in the top 10. One of a cluster of sides that we've said could finish in the top half at the end of this season. But you feel 
that they might just be resting players ahead of that important Europa Conference League semi-final when they take on Roma next Thursday. So that's it for tonight's games taking place in the Premier League. But what also happened last night, Ian, which I wanted to ask you about, was that Fulham have been promoted to the Premier League. They have secured promotion from the second tier back to the top flight. No real surprise. They've been one of the best sides. It just seems to be the case that Norwich and Fulham pass each other like ships in the night every season. Um, I saw a few jokey tweets yesterday saying that Fulham have been relegated when actually everyone was just looking ahead to next season (laughs) when they probably will go back down again. Um, Fair play to Fulham. They're back. I mean, what more is there to say other than they need to try better to stay up? But we said that the last two years, haven't we? Allow me to just produce my yo-yo here for a minute. (laughs) Uh, uh, Yeah, uh, Fulham. Um, they're like one of those well, machi- things at the uh, fair, you know, where you get the hammer and you have to hit the hit the button know. and then the thing goes up and hits the bell. I don't know what they're called, but it's, it's like anything, that, isn't like, it? Look, Crystal Palace have shown that you can actually do it, you know, and it, it requires having a strong manager, having uh, a management behind the club that are in, willing to invest in sensible players, not spaffing a load of money on crap like they did last time. Uh, and, and money doesn't necessarily equal success. You know, get good players, players that can play, players that got some intelligence, create your own um, production line as well. And, you know, you can do it and you've got to stick by it. But hiring and firing managers, signing rubbish players on stupid amount of money who have achieved nothing in their life, you know, that's not the way to go. Don't get overexcited with the cash. Be sensible with it and um, see if you can do better this time. I mean, you know, Fulham... For, for for the London clubs, it's a you know it's it's a big derby, isn't it? For like Chelsea and and so on. So, uh, it, it, you know, it's yeah. it's it's good to have them back. Got a nice little funny little ground, which I think has been extended quite a bit since last time they were there uh, in the Premier League. Um, yes, yeah. And yeah, you know, a, 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 a good name to have back, I'm sure. Uh, certainly, as I say, for the London for the London clubs, it's not really an appealing fixture for <laughs> for the ones in the north. I've got to be honest, but mm. uh, well, you, you can know, see but, a Michael Jackson statue outside Craven Cottage. Well, well, what more could you possibly want? You say, well, that was the thing, wasn't it? You know, Fulham. It was always Michael Jackson and and, and Mohammed Al Fayed and all that kind of craziness of whoever else got involved that week. Uh, that sort of circus of, of Fulham, which which isn't there now. It's it's sort of a you know they're far too serious now, Fulham. <laughs> uh, but. <laughs> They need more. They need more sort of celebrities clinging on there. Yuri Geller, well, got is he still? Richard, no, Yuri Geller's a Newcastle Richard fan, Osman isn't he? from Pointless. He's a big uh, Fulham oh, supporter, Richard so Osman, yeah. you know that that's well, their he's one just, famous. He's just fan. quit Pointless, hasn't he? Is he going to be? Maybe uh, is he going to be getting on the board? Yeah. Well, ma- uh, maybe he's uh, <laughs> getting getting himself ready for an away day trip around the Premier League next season before an inevitable <laughs> return to the Championship. Uh, uh, well done to well, Fulham. Good luck to them. Yeah, good luck to <laughs> Fulham. Well done to them. I'm sure we'll be talking about them through the summer as they prepare to return to the Premier League, but that. That's it for this part of Football Social Daily, because next season in the top flight, we could see something very, very interesting at half time. We'll let you know what it is after this. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast from Sport Social. Now, half time when you go and get a pie or a pint or a bovril, whatever you like to get during your half time interval, um, that's what you do when you're in the ground. But when you're at home, you just kind of 
sit back in your chair and watch the adverts roll by and hear what Roy Keane has to say. Not next season, according to reports. Apparently, managers could be interviewed at halftime on TV broadcasts during Premier League games. Now, this is something I thought was an April Fool when it was first touted about two or three weeks ago, Joel. Turns out that it could actually be happening. And according to some of these reports, the suggestions are that managers are welcoming the idea. I'm not sure I believe that. What are your thoughts on this idea that managers could be interviewed at half-time during games? Could you imagine that have happened last night? I was just about to say, imagine how they would have gone if they would have interviewed Ralph Rangnick at half-time, just saying, so how do you feel about that first half? And I can imagine you just end up smacking the camera and going back, like, are you serious? Um, I don't believe it's the greatest idea just because I know how sensitive and how high on adrenaline they'd be at half-time. Um, and getting asked a silly question of why that, uh, for example, why a decision went their way or why a penalty just got given or why a red card just got given. For me, they're trying to gear it towards the kind of Super Bowl spectacle in terms of access all areas. They'll probably try putting cameras in at halftime soon or something like that. But I just don't, they'll probably end up sending like an assistant out or something along those lines because they're going to want to be fully concentrated on their team talk, fully concentrated on the second half. And I don't know what managers they were speaking to to say they would encourage it. I mean, probably ones that are out of the job right now and are forgetting just how hard <laughs> it is to um, to get your mind into focus when you're having all these random questions being bolted your way. But I mean, how would you feel, Niall, if you were a manager and you just came off after an emotive first half and you've got George Allegra, <laughs> not George Allegra. George Allegra. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I'd be quite happy if George Allegra spoke to me. Well, how would I feel? Well, I've spoken to some managers in the past who have said that post-match interviews, this is not even half-time, this is after the game, shouldn't be done until half an hour after the full-time whistle. Because first of all, it gives the manager time to collect his thoughts. Second of all, it gives the manager time to talk to his players. And thirdly, we've often seen immediately in the aftermath of games, managers in the heat of the moment being quite emotional and saying things that maybe they regret further down the line, whether that incurs fines, for example, if you end up making a comment about the referee or you, you well, suggest... Well, that's the perfect ploy from the FA then, isn't it? Well, yeah, can they can uh, have their fun for the Christmas party yeah, even more soon. <laughs> it's like those average speed checks on the motorway when there's absolutely no reason for them. You just know that they're trying to get you done for speeding so they can make a few quid. But I, I think that that was an interesting point. I won't name drop the manager in question that I'm talking about but but you know he he was quite good in terms of speaking after the game but you would always say I don't think we should do this so soon after the full-time whistle because I'm still full of emotion and, and and frustration and passion about the result whether it be win draw or loss and I think that's an interesting um, situation the key for me though is what are these managers going to say at halftime because you know Ralph Rangnick is quite um, open and honest for example you mentioned him from last night's game tactically are they going to be giving stuff away I mean that would be my concern Ian I don't know about you I mean I, I, I mean surely the, the half-time interval is the only opportunity you've got to get your players down during a game and say listen this is what we're going to do this is how we're going to change it here's the tactics board I want you to do this I want the forwards to do this I want the goalkeeper to play these sorts of passes if you go out and speak to a broadcaster I mean, what do you do as a manager? Are you playing chess? Do you lie to them? Do you say, well, actually, we're going to do this. And then you come out and your team does something tactically differently. If it works, you know, you're a genius. If it doesn't, you know, you get these questions at full time. I just think it's a minefield. And 
I struggle to see why managers would agree to do this, but the suggestions are that that will be the case. Yeah, um, it depends on the question asked, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, I, I do some work in the sport of speedway, which is obviously very different, and but it's it's quite normal to to speak to a manager, you know, midway through the the the, the match, you know, um, maybe two or three times, in fact. And you tend to get kind of reviews of, of, of stuff that's happened. You know, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I thought this or I thought that. Um, but you don't tend to get much in terms of tactics. So, yeah. Um, and as you say, you haven't got much time. It's, that would be the thing for me. Yeah, I certainly think that this is a bizarre um, situation. Is this a, another Americanism, Ian? Do you think it will improve the viewing experience? I mean, we talk about what could be said. Entertainment, I think, is what a lot of people... Uh, watch football for nowadays sadly that's the kind of the way things have gone um i, I think i'm right in, in saying that in basketball and in american football they have half-time coach interviews mm. i'm not sure whether some of these things will work in football uh, depends who you're dealing with doesn't it um well can you imagine jose Mourinho coming for a half-time interview oh i'd love uh, it would... this is the thing i'd absolutely mm. love to see it it would be, oh, be great office, but i just yeah but I don't think it's right. I think you know that there's I mean? got to be um, a formula for it. And, and, and if it's kind of that you've got a position for the manager where they have to stand, you know, um, as, they, as they enter the tunnel or whatever, and it's a quick, you know, one minute, how's it going? Well, I thought this, I thought that, bang, bang, and off, and they can get on and do their job. I think you might have something there, but I don't think it can be a long five-minute chat. In a, in a time where they've only got 10 minutes with the players anyway. I think, you know, you're talking a brief microphone under the under the chin sort of thing and a few breathless words probably, and that's and that's it. As you say, it that considered time <clears throat> is probably quite important. Um, and, and you're not... I, don't, I, just, I just think you're going to get a lot of swears and complaints. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> not, the best I, I don't think if it happened, it would last long. I really don't. I think you're right. Um, boys, great to hear from you. I'm not sure whether next season we'll be discussing what some managers said at halftime, but that could be the case. We'll also on tomorrow's podcast, definitely, this isn't speculation. This is guaranteed. We'll be talking about Burnley against Southampton as well as looking back at the four Premier League games this evening. We'll be looking at Sean Dyche and why Burnley have sacked him. We haven't really had a chance to do that, of course, because it came late on Friday uh, over the Easter weekend. He seems to have been enjoying himself, Sean Dyche. Um, so make sure you hit subscribe and you won't miss that. I'll leave you two to get on with the rest of your week. Hopefully it's a little bit better for both of you than it is at the moment. But um, that's it for today's episode of Football Social Daily. Thanks for listening as ever. Hit subscribe and you'll catch tomorrow's. So we'll see you then. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.